I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Um, if you're a returning listener, thank you. If you're new to the show, this is the second of a two-part episode. So what I suggest you do is, is jump back a few weeks and listen to the first episode I did with Bob Troyer or Quantified Bob as he's nicknamed. And then listen to last week's episode, which was the first part of this follow-up call. Last week, we talked a lot about training and stressors like EMF exposure, travel, jet lag. This week in part two, we're talking about recovery strategies, breathing, heat, cold, little things like decompression boots, breath work, light therapy. And we talk a lot at the end about HRV as well and how useful that is as a a measurement of nervous system recovery. Everything Bob and I talk about is in the show notes. So you can access all of that. Click the links. There's discount codes for some of this stuff as well. And enjoy the episode. Bob knows so much about biohacking, training, recovery, all this kind of stuff. He's tried a lot of the products that are out there. He's tried a lot of the supplements. So he's a really knowledgeable guy. We were glad to get the time with him. That's it from me. Of course, if you enjoyed the episode, please share it with someone who could benefit from it. And thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Let's flip now and talk a bit about recovery. And when I say recovery, you know, we both mean in the context of nervous system recovery rather than recovery from exercise per se, but recovery in its broadest sense. And you kind of define that for us at the outset. What kind of things do you recommend for people or what works really well for you in terms of recovery? Sure. I mean, I do think a lot of people overlook this aspect. And I think for me, as I've gotten older, I realize the importance of it's like as important, if not more important than training. Because I think, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been in states of overtraining before. What's the point if you're always injured and you're, you're you know, you're going to just get more injured. So, you know, recovery for me, there's just a lot of tools that I've incorporated in sort of my practice. You know, when we say nervous system recovery, again, a lot of it is about how do we get the body back? Is it due to the, you know, the acute sort of inflammation, you know, traumas that have happened? And if we take, you know, sleep out of the equation, I mean, sleep is, I would say, for one thing, we have to, we can talk for hours about that, right? <laughs> but I would say, you know, so let's assume you've got your sleep situation worked out. I use everything from on a day-to-day basis, light therapy, basically you stand in front of a panel of red and infrared lights, mm-hmm. create the tissues, it, you know, it helps with that. If you have an injury, there's certain lights that maybe that actually pulse on and off, which tend to, um, some research has shown that that's more effective for, for like a healing. But if you're just trying to recover, I think doing light therapy is great. I use compression boots called Normatec, which I'm sure everyone, you know, you see them at every CrossFit event now and every little lounge, you know, gym and biohacking lounge out there has them, but I have them at home and I'll, you know, if my legs are just really, really, really sore from training, I'll put those on for an hour and they basically inflate and they've got five compartments and they kind of 
each of the five will kind of alternately inflate them. It's doing it, pumping the fluids up out of your legs. It's Oh, I see. And so, yeah, and it's like a, you usually lay in a, or sit in a, your feet slightly elevated so that you can help drain that out. And mm. it speeds up. I mean, it feels great. This Well, first of all, it's just like, like a massage. But for me, at least I feel like it. I recover much better. I combine that with what's called percussion therapy. So there's a few devices out there that look like they look like a power tool. It has like a ball at the end that moves at a certain vibrational frequency. And you just, you can basically run it all over your shoulders and back and arms and chest and legs and all that. And it's sort of like everything from breaking up, you know, like, like fashion and things like that to, um, to just really like, I tend to get them up in my traps and my scapula and all that. And I, I use, uh, there's two devices I, that are really popular right now. One's called Theragun and one's called Hypervolt. And they're like one of those things where once you start using them, you're like, I have to have one of these things. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, cause you can just sit there, like, let's say you're watching, you're at home doing whatever, so watching television, you can sit there and just work on yourself for an hour and you're just like, mm. it just feels amazing. So, Are they expensive? They go for approximately, I think, US $300 uh, for okay. the devices. So I think it's one of those things where, you know, you can go to a facility that probably has them, but then you realize like, if I just have this at home, I can use it anytime I want. And, and yeah. uh, I mean, people have built their own. They've like went and bought a power tool and put on like an attachment that, you know. Oh, I don't know that, if I do that. You might save a little bit of money, but you know, if you just want something that's, you know, it's a nice product and has different attachments. So like there's one that are more general, like if you're trying to hit larger muscle groups, it's like a larger ball on the end versus one that's more of a point Mm -hmm. that if you're trying to get into a very specific spot. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes you actually, you may need someone to actually use it on you because there might be a spot like in the middle of your back that you just can't, you can't quite get to. Yeah. So I, you know, so I use that. And would that be simulate, almost simulating a massage? In a way, well, it depends what kind of massage. With that, I guess you don't have the frequency, don't you? Well, you can change the set. So they have settings. So you can say like, it's more of a power level. So it's the same, I think, frequency, just how much force is being generated. Right. Yeah. Obviously, if you're like, I know for me, if I'm like working into my, like my shoulders, like I can only take so much, I can't put it on full power. But if I'm like digging it into like my lower back or something, I'm just like, you know, crank it. Mm. But I do think, yeah, it's essentially like a massage. Cause like, instead of, you know, if you, like I would, I, I mean, that is one of my tools is actually going to get massage periodically. Like I feel like my body, it just resets me, but this helps me. Like maybe I don't have to go as often, you know, so no, instead of every two weeks, maybe I go every three weeks or four weeks because I can use the, these percussive uh, massage devices to like just get in there and really work, work through anything. And mm. sometimes I even like to do it before a little bit before a workout just to get kind of like it's blood flowing and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. So that, that's another tool I use you know, from a, from a recovery state. So it's like more physical recovery. I do things like infrared sauna, cold exposure. So infrared sauna for me, some people like, I actually like going in the sauna after a workout and there's basically, you know, you're already kind of your body temperature is already up. So it'll start sweating a lot faster. You, you don't have to spend as much time in there. Mm. But I also, you know, there's been a lot of research around this concept of heat shock proteins they talk about, or mm-hmm. the idea that, you train and then by exposing the body to the, the heat, I mean, infrared sauna is not going to be as hot as like a traditional sauna, but it's, it's kind of cooking, heating you up from the inside out. But that same process is said to create what's called, what are called heat shock proteins. So I think if you're trying to increase muscle growth and all that, get those growth factors, it's said to a benefit for that. Yeah. And so I'll combine that. Just to stop you there, tell us a bit about the cold water therapy, because that's something anyone listening in could go out and do straight away without purchasing anything or anywhere. Just talk about the benefits of that. 
Okay. So, I mean, cold in general has great anti-inflammatory properties for the body, right? Just exposing your body, whether it's a cold shower or you see these cryotherapy chambers and yeah. you know, they're all basically helping the body batten down inflammation. But similar to antioxidants, like I wouldn't necessarily jump in a cold shower after a strength training session. It's sort of like you just knock down. I kind of have to keep that away. Like I would do sauna. I would do a sauna after a, a strength training session, but the cold exposure is something I use. Like I'm going to probably go to a in New York City here, we have like 120-year-old Russian Turkish bathhouse. They've got these old school, very hot saunas. And in the middle is a cold plunge. And you kind of go back and forth. And so for that, it's almost like you're also getting a hormetic response to the body because you're stressing it hot, cold, hot, cold. Hmm. For me, the cold exposure is a combination of, you know, just, yeah, that acute kind of knock down some inflammation, but I'm also training my body to sort of deal with being able to stay calm under a stressful conditions. So like you put me in a, mm. and I've done, I've gone into tubs full of ice water right, and sat in there for, for several minutes and you control your breathing, you keep your parasympathetic nervous system, you know, going, you try to keep the sympathetic down and your body's kind of like freaking out. But for me, cold exposure, there's a lot of ways to do it. I mean, I, for example, in my freezer, I've got little ice packs and I have a vest that you can put on. You put the ice packs in the vest and you wear it and it's called cool fat burner. And so that's more about targeting areas of the body where we have what's we're called um, brown fat. Mm-hmm. So we've got like most, there's a lot of it in the upper back um, where by hitting that with cold, it triggers your body goes into an additional fat burning mode. So we talk about mm-hmm. how the body becomes more efficient. So if, if, it, if it, that's more from like a kind of a body composition standpoint, I also have something that looks like a giant helmet <laughs> that has ice packs in there that I would often wear after I play sports. Cause if I've, if I've gotten hit in the head a few times, I kind of use it to keep down any potential inflammation. And that one's called cryo helmet and you just put on the cryo helmet and it, it's super, you know, it's super cold when you first put it on, you're like, ow, but you get used to it and you wear it for maybe like 30, 40 minutes. And that will, I mean, if you're in general, if you're just hot, you can put it on for a bit and cool down. But if if you do play sports, you've gotten hit in the head with a ball or something like that. It's in that, you know, for me, it's like a proactive, like let's prevent any acute inflammation from happening. Yeah. You know, but it cold, but even gets cold, like, you know, taking a cold shower, you know, starting get in a shower, start it normally then put the shower and you know, bring the cold up on the faucet. For me, it's beyond just the feeling, you know, like, a, like an acute recovery tool. It's, it, it's more physiological. It's more just about getting the body accustomed to this, like, being uncomfortable and training it to remain calm under the, under these stressors. I mean, you're not going to die yeah. putting your body in a cold shower. It's going to feel terrible the first time. You're going to be like, maybe you can do it for 10 seconds, but then next time you do 20 seconds and then 30 seconds. And, you know, there might be a day, might be certain days where like, it actually, it feels great. You embrace it. And you know, that's why you see the, like in the winter time, I'll go dip in the ocean here and it's the water's very, very cold, but you go in there and it feels pretty great after a while. Mm. I think it is a great training tool mentally and psychologically as well. So when we were training for the Arctic Circle Race, which is nicknamed the world's toughest ski race end of March, this year we did it. We trained by sitting in the sauna. We trained by cold exposure as well, just to get used to when it gets tough. You sit in there, you dig in and you stay there. I did it far more with sauna than I did with cold water. But yeah, I mean, it's good mental training. Yeah. And if you're doing the contrast of sauna and cold, you know, the one thing I would say is, I definitely have experiences where you feel like you might pass out and that's because you're going from vasodilation to vasoconstriction. So like hot, your capillary, your blood, you know, you're getting more blood flow. Everything opens up, you go in the cold water, everything kind of tightens up your, your blood flow, your circulation battens down. So then if you stand up really fast, your blood pressure is a little out of whack for a few minutes. So yeah, I would just say to people, if you're going hot, like extreme hot, cold, hot, cold, 
you may not feel that great for a while, <laughs> for a little bit. Um, cause it, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I've had, I've, uh, yeah. I've had to sit a few times and just like catch my breath for, you know, four or five minutes. And then, yeah. and then I was good after that. Yeah. That's two big extremes. If people ask if they are having a cold shower, how long do you need to spend in the, in the shower? I mean, if we're, are you talking just from a, just from a mental sort of... Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. So for clarity. So to get those benefits on the immune system and the nervous system, the real recovery benefits, how long do they need to stay in? And does it need to be shivery cold, like cold? Well, from what I've read, if your shower can't get cold enough, like let's, you know, it's the other thing too, like the colder the water gets, the less time you have to spend in it, in regards to the shock to the body. So, I mean, I know from the inflammatory kind of you know, recovery standpoint, you know, if you can get in a cold shower and you can work your way up to even just like four or five minutes, that's, that's pretty good. I would say, I mean, most people, like I said, you're going to, first time you go in there, you might be able to do 20 seconds. Like that's about, you know, and that's fine. Your body gets used to it. So mm-hmm. that's not really going to get into like immune system and, and that, that sort of, you know, aspect. I think oftentimes you're seeing people build this in with other practices, like doing breath work and other things where they're trying to mm-hmm. get the body to, kind of upregulate and get the immune system going. So I tend to use the sauna more as my immune system upregulator. Mm-hmm. I'll go into infrared sauna. I know typically like you've got infrared saunas have this near infrared and far infrared. And it seems that the near infrared seems to target those wavelengths seem to target more like things like the immune system, whereas the, the far infrared is more like a detoxification. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you find that like a full spectrum sauna will cover everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that's the best purchase I've made for years is my one man outdoor infrared sauna. Absolutely love it. I want to just come to something you've just mentioned, which is breath work. Another thing that anyone can go off and do straight away. What kind of practice, if any, do you have for that? And, and maybe just talk a little bit about the benefits. I mean, we all do it, but there's an intentional way of doing it and a subconscious, almost automatic way of doing it. What's your practice? Sure. Well, my general practice is I try to maintain day-to-day, very slow, steady breathing through my nose. Try not to breathe through my mouth. You know, there's techniques. I actually built an app. <laughs> it's a breathwork app. That's just basically like it's a breath pacer. It's not meditation. It's not anything like that. It's literally you go on and it gives you different breathing patterns. And so if you want to do something like I need something to help calm myself or before bed, and there's a certain breath breathing pattern, you just follow the, the cadence of it. Mm. So there's breathwork you can do to kind of just reset your sympathetic parasympathetic response. Like if you just sat, like you hear things like box breathing or someone doing like a inhale for four, hold for one, exhale, you know, for seven, let's say these body into different states. Then there's like Wim Hof breathing, these techniques where you're following a certain bigger technique of like Wim Hof. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with yeah. like the concept. Yeah. So, you know, he's combining state, like this idea of like almost like hyperventilation, breathing in and now you're blowing off all this CO2 out of the body and then the idea is that you're adjusting your set point so that the oxygen levels go down your body. It can maintain breath holds for longer periods of time. And then you take a, so you basically exhale, you inhale, exhale really rapidly, let's say 30 times, you know, exhale, you hold basically as long as you can in theory. And that's why you need to be somewhere safe and laying down, not near water or anything like that. And then when you need to take a breath, you take that breath and then you repeat the cycle and you, and mm. Well, you take the deep breath, you hold it for, let's say, 20 seconds, repeat the cycle. And what that's doing, what I've found is I've had experiences where you're even your body starts producing like DMT and things. You start having almost like a psychedelic experience 
but the whole thing came from William Hoff was he was showing how he was able to sort of something that we thought we couldn't control ourselves, like something like our upregulating our immune system just on demand. Like he was showing, I guess he did some studies with universities or hospitals where he was showing like he could upregulate it on demand. You know, so I, I use the Wim Hof sort of breathing, like, you know, it could be something in the morning. Maybe I'll just do three rounds of it. It just kind of sets me up for the day, kind of gets my body out of any sympathetic state. I always feel really, really great and relieved afterwards, you know, but you don't even have, you know, you don't have to take things to that extreme. I mean, if you're working, like, you know, you're, some people like put a little post-it note on their computer and they're working throughout the day and they just know every 45 minutes, just take four breaths and you're mm-hmm. just doing like a four slow breaths like that. Inhale, four, hold, exhale, hold, four. Your body's automatically, you're going to feel different. You're just going to feel different mm-hmm. and it kind of resets yourself. Yeah, I think it's breathing intentionally is probably the most powerful thing that I've yet discovered for changing your physiology, positively changing your physiology. You know, getting yourself from very sympathetic dominant, fight, flight, freeze, stressed to parasympathetic dominant. It's incredibly powerful combined with the fact it can be done anywhere. We do it anyway. It's just putting some attention behind it. Done anywhere, anytime. It costs nothing, obviously. Yeah, I think it's something we should all be thinking about doing more. Yeah, and I and I and to the point of you know being more parasympathetic. I mean, you can measure this stuff. You can measure your heart rate variability while you're doing some some of this breath work, mm. and you can actually see you know, like the increase in your parasympathetic tone. And you know, so that's like a it's very quantifiable. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, here's the odd thing. So you wear the Oura Ring, don't you? So I don't know if you've been using the Moment app. Yeah. Yeah, I've been using it, but it's, you know, obviously there's some challenges with, you can't, you have to be totally still and... and yeah. yeah. Well, that, that might be, I think I am being totally still, but obviously when you're, you're breathing, you would expect HRV to go up and resting heart rate to go down. When you're doing a intentional breathing or meditation session, I've, I have the complete opposite. I think what I'm doing is I'm sitting there breathing and, and I'm just having a think with my eyes shut because my HRV goes down and it tanks, doesn't just drop. And my resting heart rate shoots up. It's very bizarre. So I'm actually more chilled when I'm not doing a deliberate meditation and breathwork session than I am when I'm doing it. Well, I will say this. I mean, there's other devices out there like M-Wave makes a device yep. called Inner Balance. And you wear an ear clip that measures your heart rate variability yep. while you follow a breath pacer and it tries to get your... That's heart. the heart math thing, isn't it? Heart math, correct. Yeah. And what I found was I perform best. I get my best scores ever when I just put the device down, I mean, I had the clip on to measure my HRV and I just focus on my breathing and I don't look at the, I'm watching the animations on the screen and it gives you little bells and tones that messes, it totally distracts me. Mm. So if I just sit there and just focus on my breathing myself, cause I like to do, that's one of my things I I'll do in a sauna. Like I love to just sit in, well, if I'm in there, I might as well just be doing something else. So I do breath work and I'm sauna. But with regards to like wearing like the order ring, the challenge I've had is the way that it's measuring the HRV for like the moment, it, the temperature, I think, in the sauna is too high for it to, to be able to get mm. I mean, my mm. fingers sweaty or something, but I can't get it to work in a sauna. I have to be just sitting at room temperature, yeah. very still. So, yeah. you know, otherwise, if you want to measure HRV while you're in a sauna, you have to wear like a chest strap or... Um, yeah. I do have the CoreSense device, actually. I'll try that. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't tried the CoreSense in a sauna. Which is the elite HRV. Yeah. I don't know how it is with temperature. I use the core sense often in the morning when I take my waking HRV. Okay. So you use that to get a live reading in the morning versus your overnight reading from, from Ura. Yes, because they don't correlate. They're two different. Yeah. 
I feel like they're both valuable data points. I mean, really looking at trends with HRV, but the number you get overnight is reflecting what happened while you were sleeping overnight. So if you slept mm-hmm. poorly, it's going to say, yeah. But the waking HRV you take is, I feel it's more reflective of your state ready for the day. Mm-hmm. So I factor that into my training more mm-hmm. overnight. Cause I, I guess what I see is if, if one number, like let's say the aura shows I had, you know, relatively poor HRV overnight, maybe it was because the first two hours of my sleep were a bit disrupted, but I slept great the other six. Mm. It's going to factor in that even though I did have a nice solid block of six hours of uninterrupted sleep, it's still going to factor in the other time and where maybe the HRV was lower. And, yeah. But my body might wake up and I'm like, I feel great. I, I just slept for six straight hours, you know, pretty solid. I think both are, again, they're it's all about trends with HRV. So I do think, you know, don't try to correlate the two numbers, but if you're going to pick one, then that's your, use that. And that's your trend line. You know, use that as your trend, but you got to kind of follow it every day. And would you suggest then just in, in wrapping up that HRV is a good number for people to track, whether it's the overnight average with aura or the morning core sense reading or whatever it is, heart rate monitor. It tends to be the number that I... Most- well, it depends. Like if you're, if, if you're looking at it from the standpoint of training, I do think HRV is a great proxy for that. Now, you know, the problem that people run into is they go, oh, what's your number? My number is this. Mm. You can't compare two people. I mean, they, they've got some things in which is some populations, but HRV is highly, highly personalized, individualized. So it's all about your own personal trends. You can't, you know, like you and I can't be like, what was your number last night? What was my number? It doesn't work like that with HRV per se. Yeah. And I do think... You know, whereas in HRV, there's actually a number of underlying metrics in there. Some that show the parasympathetic versus sympathetic shift. Um, we tend to focus most of these that give you one number. It's what's called RMSSD, root mean square standard deviation. And so it's like one number that's trying to embody everything into one metric, but it doesn't really necessarily reflect, let's say, the differential between if you look at what is the proxy to just your high HF and LF in your, in your heart rate variability, which are the proxies to sympathetic, I'm sorry, parasympathetic and sympathetic tone. And so you might see like, well, maybe, maybe your parasympathetic might actually be very high, but the problem is so is your sympathetic. So you got, it's about knocking down the, that sympathetic. Yeah. You know, and something I've noticed, and this is actually, this is pretty interesting. And you might, this is something anyone that has an order and can try. I have several years of data and when you look at your reports with HRV. I've noticed there's seasonality to my average month over month. It actually, it's very predictable. It peaks in August and it's the lowest in January. And it's been doing this for two and a half years. Your HRV? My, yeah, my average. If you take your average, it will be per month. Yeah. So you, you zoom out, you look at the chart month. So it's one data point per month. Yep. So like, it's, it's interesting. Like I, you know, it's very predictable. And so then you got to figure out like, well, okay, well, why is that so? Is it, you know, my, you know, let's assume I'm, my diet's not changing. You know, is it getting more sun exposure, being outside more or exercising more? Could it be that, you know, maybe the, temperature in my bedroom or the humidity is more optimal or, you know, things like that. So, and that's, so you can start digging into your data to kind of under, try to figure out why, what might be affecting that you know, positively or, or negatively. I guess for me, you know, the first thing I would look at might just be if all things were equal, it probably just has to do with being outside more, mm. and, you know, and getting in the sun, getting a little more, uh, yeah, that, that sort of exposure. Vacation time as well. No, because I take, I do go in the summer and I go in the winter. Mm. I just happen to be in the summer. I'm outside more in the sun. Like I'm, yeah. I, I'm playing sports outside. I'm going to the beach more. Yeah. But, but it's not about not working. It, you know, it's hard to say, but even sleep, like I know my body prefers a cold, dark room. So 
Mm. Like in the summer, if you, let's say you have air conditioning, the room actually is cooler in the summer than the winter. So maybe that's, you know, could be could have the heat. Some people have the heat on in the winter and I actually like a cold room. And I'm not saying it could be a combination of all those factors, mm. but I just know like that looking at your trend over you know, seasonally, for me at least, I see it increase, you know, August is the peak and the trough is in January and it's been doing that every year. Yeah. It's just kind of a coincide that you can start, you know, start looking at the data. Yeah. You know, and so I would definitely say, you know, from a, we're talking about recovery and training, there's a lot of tools out there, you know, I've used, I mean, I've, again, we're talking just more about day to day, sort of, you know, how to just get over my workouts. How do I prepare myself for my next workout? Talking about things like injuries and, and, and more acute traumas. I mean, that's a whole nother mm. whole <laughs> thing we could talk about because that's, you know, now you're getting into like the body, you know, basically it's an injury and, and, and inflammation is needed. I mean, the, the, like putting ice on a sprained ankle isn't necessarily the optimal thing to do because you need that inflammatory process mm. have. and the whole process of healing so that, you know, there's a mechanism the body goes through to basically protect the injury. That's why we swell up, brings a lot of fluids and nutrients down there to start, you know, laying down the repair work and, and all that. And so what I found is the tools I use are all about speed, just speeding that up. It's not about preventing it. Yeah. So you need to go through it. That's why I would never personally, I mean, unless, you know, someone's just in absolute crazy acute pain, put anything, you know, like ice on, I know I don't ice injuries. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, I suppose for anti-inflammatory drugs as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, look, we've run out of time, but Bob, thank you very much again yeah. for giving us your time and your knowledge and sharing a bit of wisdom. Your website is quantifiedbob.com. Just remind us of your social media, the preferred social media handles. Sure. So it's just Quantified Bob on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, yeah, or LinkedIn. You can connect with me, Bob Troya. So yeah, pretty consistent across all the platforms. Easy to find. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I'll link to everything we've talked about in the show notes for the benefit of you guys listening. And yeah, thank you very much. You've given us a ton of stuff there, Bob. So much appreciated. Great. Thank you. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on take the test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.